Prosperity for Grown-Ups, if you're taking notes. <laughs> That's the title of my message. Uh, from a young age, uh, when I began to understand the core message of the scriptures, I was grasped by this idea that God desires my good. That God desires your good. That our welfare is in God's interest. Now, when you're young, much of your life decisions, much of your life direction is based on rules. Especially if you are in a family with two parents um, uh, or in a family with a parent who is, is, is involved in your life. Uh, your, your decisions are based on rules. And I think it should be. I think they should be based on rules. I, I think that until a child can manage their own lives and can have the maturity and the awareness to recognize and avoid evil, they need to follow rules. They need to be guided by rules. I think that's good parenting. And rules exist primarily for safety. They exist primarily for life preservation. But they also exist for harmony, so that we can live in harmony with one another, so we can leave, live in peace with one another. But not only that, they exist for growth and development. That's why rules exist. And the person who matures properly, the person who grows properly, is the person who understands that growing up is not about letting go of rules. Growing up is not about mature, uh, uh, graduating from rules, no longer needing rules, but maturity is self-governance. Maturity is the ability to live life and make decisions that are hinged to a set of rules that we have embraced, that we have seen work. And throughout my life, when I talk to people about their childhood experience, uh, I could see two prevalent ways in which people were raised. You might be able to identify uh, one of these ways as being more one or the other in your life. People who are raised by parents who help their kids mature through fear of rules, that's one side. You know, that's the parent that says, if you don't follow our house rules, there will be dire consequences. And the parental idea here is that the punishment emulates real life. Is that life is tough. And then when you get off, off track, life is going to smack you. Life is going to beat you down a little bit. So we're trying to get you prepared. As a parent, I want you to know that. Or maybe your parent was just a little more toward the strict side. And rules were really important uh, in your house. That's, that's mostly how my wife was raised, by the way. Step out of line, you get a little, you know. And then uh, when, on the other side, there were parents who tried to help their kids mature through what I call rules of privilege. And what this is, is typically out of projection. Our parents who grew up maybe with needs, maybe they didn't have much, and they thought, I'm going to give my kids everything I didn't have because life has been so hard on me that if I had those resources, I would be much further ahead. And those are the parents who parent through resources. The rule is we're going to get them in every class we can. We're going to get them in every uh, possible avenue for development. Read the book, get in the class, do the extracurriculum, let's get it together. And, and the kids' commitments, the kids' schedules, the kids' routines, they run the household and they run the marriage. And it's all about that. 
And the idea here, like I said, is that resources will nurture the child's talent. That will nurture the child's gifts. And they will grow in those various areas and they will discover their path in life and find maturity through it. And so these, those, those two approaches are typically approaches that I've seen and approaches that uh, the desire of the parent is to mature the child, even though the child might not understand fully. And the second way is mostly how I was raised. I still got the belt a little bit when I stepped out of line. But my parents, you know, my dad grew up in a farm. My mom uh, didn't have much. And they thought, let's resource our kids as much as we can. We weren't rich, but they tried to make a way for us. Now, although I believe that every child needs a moderate, healthy dose of both, rules are important. Even fear of, of, of rules in a healthy way is important. And uh, uh, privilege is important as well. The ability to open doors for your kids is important. Maturely, ma maturity typically doesn't take root through those things, though. Maturity, maturity will, will take root through responsibility. And you can see this in your own life. It's when we gain the awareness and the capacity of re realization, because realization is a capacity to understand that the outcome of your life is not in anybody else's hand, but it's in your own hand. It's when you understand that and the, the coin drops that you, that you go, oh, that's when maturity arises. That's when maturity begins. Now, I remember when I was a teenager, still living with my parents, I never thought of power consumption. I never thought of the electric bill. And I was a teenager. I had two older brothers. And I remember my dad walking around the house at, 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 in the evening, just turning off lights and, and just kind of huffing and puffing. And like, you guys think that electricity is cheap? Why is every light on every time I come home? Just turning it off. What are you guys doing? And we would like, didn't think about it. Now, did I think electricity was free? No. I knew it wasn't free, but it was free to me. It was free to me. I didn't think about it. Now, fast forward 25 years. Guess who is walking around the house turning off lights? This guy. <laughs> I've become my dad. And you know what? He was right. And I've told him. I'm like, Dad, I wish I could go back. Because I also have four kids. And they don't think about lights. Oh, man. See, when we are young, we're not mature enough to see the connection between rule and prosperity. We're not, we're not mature enough to understand. See, in my case, I was too preoccupied with my own thing, my own life, my own interests, to realize that my dad's disapproval wasn't him trying to control me and trying to get me to do whatever he wanted me to do. He was trying to preserve our family wealth so that we could have generational wealth. Less money for the power company is more money for me, more money for my brothers. That's what he was thinking. Why should we give money and waste what we have hardly earned so that we can, we, we can waste it there's a connection there. And I think as people, if you apply that principle, that very practical principle to our understanding of the scriptures, our understanding of the will of God for our lives, we have a similar problem. There's a lack of understanding on what prosperity means. 
And I believe it's because we've become immature on this subject. And to use a church word, we've become quite carnal about our understanding of prosperity as a whole. On one side, we've had for years a message being preached that gave us the impression that prosperity means more for me. That's really the end of it. Prosperity is more for me. That God wants everyone to drive nice cars, have big houses, have completely free, uh, have, be free of worry, of anything, any material worry at all. That if you give enough, that if you pray enough, that if you believe enough, you will prosper. And by prosper, really means material resources, money in the bank. And then on the other side, uh, you had people strongly rejecting this idea of prosperity, saying that this is minimizing the gospel, labeling it in a derogatory way a prosperity gospel. Saying that this type of belief eliminates uh, uh, an enormous and important element of the gospel, which is the element of suffering, the passion of the Christ, which means the point of life where, where, where God you know, takes us through situations and circumstances that, that make life rich, the, 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 the ability to endure suffering. And the motto here is life happens. You don't get to control every outcome. Life is not simply health and wealth. And you might be poor, you might be sick, you might be destitute, you might be hated, you might have to deal with issues. You might be dealt a, a bad hand in life. And the gospel is not your ticket out of it. So you have these two ideas that have been prevalent in the last few years. Two views that are codependent, I think. Rejecting, one rejecting the other, one arguing against the other, one kind of needing the other to exist as a counter-argument. But I believe that these are biblical interpretations, kind of like looking through the lens of what we talked about. Because it appeals to people's needs. It appeals to their life story. It's kind of like those two kinds of parenting, isn't it? If you grew up in a tough environment where you feared rules and life was strict and, and maybe there was not enough resources, man, imagine if you grew up during the Great Depression, waiting in line for a loaf of bread. Or maybe you grew up during the civil rights movement and you were a person of color in the United States trying to fight for freedom. What kind of gospel do you want? The gospel of suffering or the gospel of prosperity? You want some relief. You want some, some, some promise that God is going to take you out of it. You, you want to be free from that. So prosperity means, yeah, I, I need a break. But if you grew up in an environment where you were loose, carefree, not a lot of rules, a lot of resources, you know, maybe you weren't rich, but you had just enough wealth to know that that's not enough. Resources were available to you, but you need guidance, you need structure, you need some kind of light to give life meaning because you realize that resources are simply a shallow way of life. Then what you want is, is a strong message that goes deeper than relief. And that's kind of like the, the two needs that, that we kind of try to grasp and see the gospel through those lenses, but... I think that both of them have an element that's self-serving. 
and we look at prosperity, if we look at prosperity from either lens, it'll be a self-serving way, which means it lacks maturity. And I think that we need to be mature to understand what prosperity actually is. Like the scripture says, we've got to let go of our childish ways and see what does God say about this. Aside from our past, aside from our needs, aside from our wants, what does God say about this? So let's look at a few scriptures that talk about this. But before we go any further, I want you to think about this question, which is a fundamental question when you think about prosperity. Does God want you to prosper? Because really, our, our search, our prayer, our belief is going to hinge on this question. Do we know if God even wants us to prosper? And I believe the answer is clear. But let's look at the scripture because it's not in the same framework that we have just shared. First scripture we're going to look at is a quintessential scripture talking about the blessing. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 28. God is speaking to the people of Israel. And his, here's his promise, verse 1. We're going to read verse 1. It's a long chapter, so I'm just going to read a, a, a part of it. It'll give you an idea of what it says. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commandments I give you today, all the, His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come out. You'll be blessed when you go in. Verse 11, he continues. He says, The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your, to your ancestors to give you. So prosperity is present in God's promise. But the word prosperity here, when the scripture says the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity, the Hebrew word is toba, which means good things, means goodness, kindness, happiness. And you can see that the idea painted here, the picture painted in Deuteronomy 28, goes beyond finances. You're not, it's not just about money in the bank. These are blessings for the whole self. Blessings for the person. See, God's desire for prosperity means way more than money. It means that He wants to pro you to prosper in every area of your life. Every part of you. Your marriage, your relationships, your talents, your gifts. Here's another popular passage that's used in scriptures. And if, you, if you've grown up in church or if you've had a church background in your life, this is a, is a, is a passage that's really used a lot. And uh, those of you who are not, just know that this is a passage that has uh, is, is been spoken of and linked to prosperity. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Listen to this. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. And you have not kept them. Return to me. This is God inviting the people. And I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now listen to this promise. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you so much blessing that you will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and, in, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Notice that. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now this passage, like I said, has been used a lot. And it needs clarity because much of the misunderstanding in this passage appeals to the fear of poverty in, in people. And the simplistic idea that's been popularized from this passage is this. If you don't tithe, you're cursed. And, but if you tithe, then you remove the curse and you will prosper. Plain and simple. But that's a very, that can become a very transactional approach to the scriptures. It's like a give to get. If I do a cut covered, it's like buy an insurance policy. Right? Like I'm just going to pay my insurance here to make sure that the devourer doesn't come. And then I'm, whew, I'm good on my money side. This is not what God is talking to people. If you pay attention to the scripture, God is not demanding money from people. He's not showing them uh, that, you know, he needs their money. What he's showing them is that they have lost their zeal for his house. They have lost their zeal for his ways. They don't want the ways of God anymore. They're living their own way. And this can apply to us too, right? If you look at the scripture and you think about it generationally as a culture, not just us in the room, but everyone. God is saying this, listen, your great-grandparents used to serve me. I drive around Connecticut, I see so many churches, and I know they're empty. But they were full one day. So I think about this scripture. Your great-grandparents used to serve me. Maybe even your grandparents used to, used to serve me. But your parents have abandoned me. And you want to figure out why are you cursed? Because you have turned away from my way of living. That's what God is saying. You have turned to the ways of the enemy. You are robbing God. How are you robbing God? Because we have turned our backs on God. And we have kept Him from being our provider, from being our God. And the evidence was that the people had forgotten His house. How do you love God? How do you show that you love God? Well, Jesus, is, the, the, the Scripture is saying, you show that you love me by taking care of my house. And you haven't taken care of my house. That's what Malachi is prophesying here. The people had forgotten his house. They were living for themselves, having their fine steak dinners. But when it came to the house of God, not my problem. And isn't that our generation's attitude? That's our generation's attitude. So God tells them, turn back to me. Commit to my way of living. Show love and care for my house. Make sure my house is well resourced so I can bless you through it, so I can bless the nations through it. Obey my commands. Bring the tithe. Make sure my house is supplied. But it's not about the tithe. It's about turning to God. Do you get this? It's about being in relationship with God. It's about living His way. It's about loving His house. And if you do that, I will make sure you'll prosper in everything you do. Because you'll be living for me. You'll be investing and spending your resources the right way. Now Jesus had a lot to say on this subject. And we'll explore this this month and 
in the subsequent weeks this year. But in one particular instance that I want to highlight today, Jesus was surrounded by many thousands of people, Luke says. That he is in this space where there's thousands of people surrounding him, and he's teaching. He's teaching his disciples, and, and everybody else is kind of listening to him teach his disciples. And then in a moment, as he is teaching these thousands of people, a man in the crowd shouts at Jesus. He's a younger brother, and he's talking about sharing shared inheritance that his older brother doesn't want to divide with him. So he says, Jesus, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you, between the two of you? Then he said to them, and now Jesus is teaching everyone, including those two men, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many, many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Strong words. But if you think about this, you realize that this is the way we live. It's never enough. We never get to the point where we feel like, all right, I'm satisfied. And so the man here, he was tearing down his barns and building bigger ones. Guess what he was going to do when he got to that point? He was going to tear those down and build bigger ones. And bigger, bigger. That's what Jesus was saying. Like, it's a never-ending search. And you're at the end of your life, and you're still thinking, oh, one day it'll be enough. This is how it'll be to everyone who gives their heart to wealth in that way. What we come to understand when we read these three scriptures, which are key scriptures in the Bible, is this. That prosperity is a responsibility. Prosperity is not something for our use, for our indulgement, for our soul pleasure. It's not a gospel or a theology. Prosperity is a responsibility. If you notice in the first passage, there was a condition. If you obey my commandments, what is the first and great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. In other words, don't be afraid of God. Fear Him in the sense of reverence. But don't be afraid of God. Love God. There's a, there's, a, there's a need for us to have affection and devotion to God. Not do this and God will do that. Not have a transaction with God. If you, send, if you say 10 Hail Marys, maybe your football team will win tonight. If you, if you go to church and you'll be good, maybe you'll get more followers on Instagram and you'll become a, an, in, a, an influencer. No, love God. Let your obedience flow out of that. In other words, God, I love you. 
God, I love you. Today, I love you, and that's why I obey you. I love you, and that's why I follow you. I love you. That's why I love your law, because I love you. That's why I follow your precepts. That's why I follow your way, because I love you. We've got to get to that place. That's <coughs> the place that God invites us to be in that passage in Deuteronomy. The second passage in Malachi also talks about a curse. Oh, you're under a curse. Why? Because you didn't tithe? Because you didn't bring some money to the church? No. It's because you turned your back on God and you committed your soul and your spirit to other gods, to other things, including money maybe, but other idols, evil spirits, sometimes without knowing. And that's why you can't prosper in the areas that you wish to prosper. God is unable to be your father because you've abandoned him. See, the idea in Malachi is this. God will supply our needs so that we can supply his house, so that we can show love to him. It's about loving God as well. And the words of Jesus in the third passage it follows the same idea. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We ought to be rich toward God. Living life, accumulating, and storing wealth. Is that prosperity? It's more and more and more. Our world calls it prosperity. If you're accumulating wealth every day, that's prosperity according to the world, but that's not prosperity according to the scriptures. It's, it's shallow. It's self-serving. It's, incom it's incomplete. That's why Jesus says we ought to be rich toward God. Friends, prosperity is a responsibility. Prosperity is not like an electric bill that you don't have to worry about because Jesus paid it all. Prosperity is like a home that he has given you to manage. You keep it. But you keep it knowing that it's not just for yourself. It's to honor him and love him with, and it's to serve others. Now, I, I, I want to paint this picture. I want to show you this picture through a story of some people in our church that uh, you've probably grown to love, and I know Alini and I have grown to love very much. Um, and, and their story represent really the idea of this series, which is the will to prosper. Two amazing leaders in our church who have become dear friends to us, Dante and Susan Calabrese. They're phenomenal. Now, nine years ago, in 2015, we sent 30,000 invitations to the people of Stanford. Right, a, right about this time of the year. And Susie received one of those in the mail and, uh, and decided to join us. And so she began attending back in 2015. And back then, she was far from God. She was looking for a connection with God, but didn't really have any church history and was living with her boyfriend at the time and, and trying to figure out life. And she came through our doors and connected to our church. And within six months, she was singing. She was part of our worship team, and her boyfriend at the time had a beef with God. He wasn't into God. He didn't really like God. But his living girlfriend is waking up Sunday morning to go sing at this church. So he felt compelled to come support her, and he, walk in, he would walk in late and sit in the back, and then right before the service ended, he would just jet out, just being sneaky. You know, 
And I remember Susie back then, she was being kind, but she would say, yeah, Dante is not really into it. He's, he's not into this stuff. But little by little, Dante began to open up. And not too long after that, I remember one random Sunday, Dante showed up at 8.30 in the morning to set up. He just walks up, walks in. And he says, hey, everybody, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm like, sorry you're late? Who are you? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so they began to attend a connect group, and Dante gave his life to the Lord, and he, he got baptized in water. I had the pleasure of baptizing him. Not only that, Dante's mom, Miss D, started attending church. She also was disconnected, and, and she reconnected to God and started serving in our kids' ministry. And Dante and Susie got married as part of our church. Shortly after they got married, they found out they were expecting a baby girl, and everything was coming together. But before his daughter arrives, after many years fighting a condition, and David, if you're here, this is your cue. After many years fighting a condition, um, Miss D went to be with the Lord. And now this is why this is a, it was an important moment in Dante's life because, you see, the reason why Dante had a beef with God and he didn't really like God is because he had lost loved ones and he couldn't understand how God could allow that. He couldn't understand how God would allow good people to suffer and, and lose their life the way they did. And now the person who gave him life, the person whom he loved more than anything else in the world, is gone. But this time, Dante understood, understood that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And it was in a service like this one at an altar call after service that Dante came forward for prayer. And uh, in that moment of grief, he had a unique and powerful experience with God. The presence of God just filled his body, and it was like a, a heat wave that went from the bottom of his feet all the way to the top of his head. And then it lifted. And he came to me after service, and he said, I, I can't really explain with words what, what just happened. I... All I can say is that all that animosity, all that weight, all that grief just lifted. All the darkness I felt, just it's like it burned off. And it's weird to say, but I just lost my mother, but I'm complete, completely at peace. I'm at peace with God. Now, while all of that was happening with Dante, Susie, too, was going through her own her own things if you back up a few months she began to feel severe pain in her back and after weeks of trying to assess the source of the pain and trying to figure out what it was uh, she found a benign tumor in her back and it was in a place in her lower back that was pressing against one of the main nerves that connected to this entire area in her legs and it was excruciating pain. She couldn't lay down, stand. There was no comfortable position. Couldn't sleep at night. It was a tough season. I remember walking that season with them. And after months of treatment, she had to make a choice. 
Susie now, who was always lively, healthy, active, had to make a decision. Do I opt for surgery, who could leave me paralyzed and get rid of this pain, or do I just live forever with this? The pain kept getting worse, and in prayer, she felt peace about it, and, and uh, she went for the surgery. But no, this is not a story that I heard or that Alini heard. This is something that Alini and I got to witness in their life. Through all of those moments, through all of those valleys, their devotion to God never wavered. Susie's devotion to God never faltered. She was faithful to the call. She was growing in prayer. She was feeding on the word. She was seeking God. And the pain get, kept getting worse. Susie opted for the surgery, as I said. And by the grace of God, not only was the surgery a success, but it produced the best outcome possible. Everything was out, and she was pain-free. But it was a season of questions. It was a season where I could see in their eyes, like, just that question, like, can I just catch a break? Have you ever gone to a season like that? Where it feels like you're getting pressed in every part of your life. It's losing loved ones and your body hurting and you need money and you need solutions and there were big things and little things. But you know what they were doing? They were passing the test. They were staying faithful. They were remaining obedient to God. And they never lacked in their zeal for God's house. They were rich toward God without fully understanding at the time what was happening. But they were being transformed. Now, if you fast forward it to today and you were to talk to them, their bodies have prospered. They're both healthy and their marriage has prospered. They're living the best days of their life and their finances have prospered. And Susie is a successful real estate agent and we had the honor of being her first clients. She was the best. Yeah. Dante was promoted to a profit-sharing position in his company. They have a beautiful daughter who was born that year, and one year ago they moved to their beautiful home that they purchased. And you can celebrate that. That's a big deal. Yes. But I'm sharing this because when you see them serving God with devotion, and they're one example of many people here in our church. When you see Dante heading our logistics team and driving that truck and the trailer that's parked out back and pulling those boxes out with joy in his heart, and when you see Susie leading you into worship and breaking into tears to the point that she can't finish the song, and we're working on that. <laughs> and when Dante you know, is in the front row with his arms raised high. You need to know it's because they've seen the hand of God in their lives. It's because they, they have walked in the will to prosper. And they've made a decision to love God no matter what. And the windows of heaven have opened. And God has poured blessings on their lives. And uh, I was sitting... You know, the reason why I asked them to share the story today is because last Wednesday I was sitting in our men's group 
And we had about 10 men in, in this coffee place that we rent out for a private meeting at night. And if you're a guy and you're not there, you're missing out. It's my plug. But we're sitting there with a bunch of guys and, and I just sit back and watch Dante share. Talk about his struggles. And I just started playing the tape back on that guy that just would walk in and and say, you know, the service is actually nice if you don't, if you take out all that God crud out of it. It's actually a positive thing. And now he's sharing with these guys, you know, it's all about your relationship with God. It's all about God in your life. And he talks about revelations that he's having as he's fasting, what God is showing him and, and how God has brought him out of things. I mean, he, he's sharing liberally and openly with things that he has gone through, battle with anger, battle with lust in, in his past life, and, and how God has caused him to prosper and be free from all of it. Why? Because for the past eight years, Dante and Susie have decided to follow Jesus no matter what. And I got to tell you, if you want to understand prosperity, look at some of the people around the room and you will see prosperity is responsibility. Prosperity is holding your head up high when you feel like be cast down. Your prosperity is digging your heels in and saying, Lord, I believe in you no matter what. Prosperity is believing in a God who is above all else, who is above anything that you're fighting, above anything that you're fearing, and knowing and holding on to his word and knowing that he can't, even though any circumstance around you says you can't. I believe that that's what God is calling us to do today. I believe that if you do like them and other people in this church, you will experience this kind of prosperity that is in Scripture. I believe some of you, you need a breakthrough in your life. You've been praying for a breakthrough. You've been coming here on Sundays and you've been worshiping and you're like, oh, I hope that this works out. And I just want to declare this today. That as we practice and grow together, you're going to see breakthrough in your life this year. God is going to bring what you need. He's going to empower you and equip you and give you everything you need to fulfill His plan. That's a beautiful definition of prosperity that Pastor Robin Wilkerson from Trinity, Miami shares. That prosperity is God giving you everything you need to fulfill every plan he has for you. And if you do that, I believe you will prosper. In Jesus' name, do you receive it this morning? Amen, amen. Yes. Yes, you can clap for that.